welcome to Not So Molly Mormon podcast. This is Katie. Uh, there's no Sarah this week. She's taking a little break, but don't worry, she'll be back next week. But in the meantime, I have a very, very special guest. I'm so happy to introduce my dear, sweet, beautiful friend, Chelsea, is here. Hi, Chelsea. Hi, thank you. Uh, and I've known Chelsea for, I think, 10, maybe 10 years now. And yeah. she, um, she's she been a huge supporter of the show and of me and has just been amazing. And we've been talking about having her come on and tell her story for years now. I mean, at least three years we've talked about this, right? Yeah, I feel like I remember when you guys started the podcast and us talking about it. And I was obviously so flattered, but I don't think I was ever ready until now. (laughs) We're kind of like, almost like pushing you being like, I want you to tell it. I want you to tell it. But I'm glad we waited until now because I feel like your story has evolved so much more and there's so much more to tell. And I think everyone's just going to eat it up. So (laughs) I'm going to, as they say in the Mormon church, turn the time over to you. (laughs) And um, I want you to tell everyone what what you've told me and uh, let the people hear hear your story because it's a good one. (laughs) yes it's it's a story for sure um and thank you again for the opportunity to tell it because I feel like I've been shouting from the rooftops and as Mormons do it's a lot of um gaslighting and you know denial you kind of feel like you're going crazy and and like you're yeah everyone around you is telling you that your story isn't actually as it is yeah yeah so I'm grateful for a platform to be able to tell my side thank you and also want to say thank you to Katie and Sarah for helping so much of us process our religious trauma (laughs) well I'm so happy that we can that's the whole reason we started it we were like if we could even help one person that will be worth it. So thank you for acknowledging that. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I have to because it helped. It's helped me so much. And um, okay, so a little about me. I am thir- turning thirty-three this year, and um, I grew up in the East Valley, Arizona. So a little mini Utah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, lots of Mormons. Uh, Mesa was founded by Mormons, so actually right. like before Phoenix, so there's oh. a lot of them out there. Yeah. And uh, I grew up in a in a bubble-type community. Gilbert is a very nice place to live. It is also a very white place to live. Uh-huh. And um, privilege, like most people there, are decent to well-off. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, I always thought that I had, and I did, I did have a good childhood. Like I was safe and, you know, not worried about my survival, but the trauma is a little different for me in terms of, you know, Mormon abuse, manipulation. So 
I'm the oldest of seven other redheads. And uh, <laughs> yeah, if you, for those of you who aren't watching on video, Chelsea is a redhead like like me. And <laughs> she is the most beautiful person I've ever met in my entire life. And no. yeah, she's part of a very large redhead family. <laughs> yes. Um, well, thank you for that. But we, yeah, I grew up Mormon. Um, <clears throat> I was, as they say, a Molly Mormon. I was very, very good. I never broke the rules or rebelled in any sort of way. There was a lot of pressure on me. Um, and it was like spoken, you know, you need to be an example for your siblings. You need to set the way, da da da. And uh, that was a lot of pressure. But I never, I don't know, caved. I had a lot of friends that rebelled, and I was always very like loving and not tried not to be judgmental. But um, yeah, just stayed the path. I was, you know, like a president of the beehive my main laurel <laughs> youth council uh seminary uh, stuff just all. all the things yes and um I really I, even at a young age like I, I was very intelligent and I I wanted to understand and so as I got older um and like I was even made fun of by my friends for being so Molly Mormon. And oh, like wow. Yeah, like the the girls would if I ever like kissed a boy, kinda like shame me in front of everybody, be like, Oh my gosh, Chelsea, Oliver, like what? And I was like, <laughs> uh pretty sure this is like normal, but okay. Oh that's so, so like ah, oh, it's just so embarrassing too. It's so embarrassing because it's like it was the, and they were doing more. So I was like, why are you guys judging me? But right. it was this like needing to keep me in um, a box of like how they understood me. Right. And right. so there was a lot of like internal uh, conflict for me, but I never spoke it out loud. I would ask my parents questions you know because so at a young at a younger age like I would say early in high school I just started to be like wait this doesn't line up with this and can somebody help me understand what's going on here um because you know we say we're supposed to be this way but everybody's behaving the opposite uh, and uh a lot of it started to not make sense to me. Like as I dove deeper and needed to understand more, I would like read those adult manuals uh -huh. um, at a young age because I was like not getting enough from my teachers. And I was yeah. like, I need deeper, a deeper understanding or whatever. So I asked my, started with my parents, then like my church leaders and then seminary um seminary teachers, all these questions. And, you know, they would try and answer, but I'm pretty intelligent. So I'd be like, well, no, like that doesn't make sense. And <laughs> yeah. basically, yeah, it, doesn't add up. Yeah. <laughs> it would get to a point where their egos were offended that I was questioning them so much, even though I wasn't trying to be antagonistic, I was genuinely trying to understand, right. but I would, um, it would always end up that I would get like shut down as in you're just not faithful enough. 
And so obviously there's something wrong with you that you are questioning these things so much because we don't know all things and God does. And so you just need to buckle down, read your scriptures more, be more faithful and like stop asking questions. Just say more prayers. Say more, say more prayers so that (laughs) you can be at peace with this bullshit. Yes, with not understanding all of this, like, bigoted shit you're discovering and Mm -hmm. incongruencies, and you're like, uh, so this is my fault? Okay. Oh, so it was, you know, even from a young age, put back on me, like, you are not valid, like, your questions are not valid, there's something wrong with you, and, um, as I've, you know, deconstructed, tried to do a lot of healing and therapy. Um, I have also learned that I've been diagnosed with like a neurodivergent label. And I don't really want to say what it is because it doesn't really matter. But one part of it was a, uh, or like one thing that came, comes from that was I had this like justice complex. Like I needed things, I needed to understand, I needed things to be right like morally Uh and so a lot of cognitive dissonance was happening for me because I'm like okay you guys say I should be this way so let me be this way but wait none of y'all are being this way yeah yeah (laughs) I'm very confused and not practicing what you preach and then putting it on you yeah exactly and um even to the point where I think I told you this story before but I was the president of the seminary and um, it was my senior year and it was Old Testament. (laughs) And there's that verse about the daughters raping the dad after they get him drunk. And I read really fast. So I was like reading ahead in in the lesson and I was like, okay, I need to understand this. Like this is, I don't, what? Like, why is and, this even in here? Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, it's like a verse or two, but my teacher just skipped over it and like moved to the next couple of verses. So I like raised my hand and I'm like, excuse me, excuse me. Uh, you skipped over this part that I, I actually read ahead and I was waiting to ask you a question about. <laughs> and he, so he was like, no, we're not going to talk about that. And I was all, well, it's in the Bible though. Like it's scripture. Like I need to understand. And anyway, we got into this argument in front of the class and he sent me out. And then afterwards him and the seminary president, like pulled me in to talk to me about like why I was doing Satan's work and trying to like tear down other people's (laughs) testimonies. And I was like, what? Excuse me. I'm like, I genuinely am trying to understand because it says the daughters raped the dad after they got him drunk. And I just, what was God's purpose with that? Like, that seems insane to me. Yeah. And they're like, you know, again, it came back as you're not faithful enough. You need to, we don't know all the answers. I'm like, why is that always the answer when like something is really fucked up and I need to understand it? Right. <laughs> like right. I'm the problem yeah. for trying to figure it out. And I just need to, it's the whole Mormon thing of like, yeah, whatever that is, let's just not acknowledge it and move forward because that would make us have to like think about everything and process it and they're just like you know cognitive dissonance they're not about to question their testimonies and I even remember there was do you remember when the Da Vinci Code came out Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
as a book. So I was a very avid reader. I got in trouble for reading Harry Potter by like the whole ward because I was like oh one of the first kids to do it. <laughs> they were like, they talked to my mom. Did you know your daughter's reading about witchcraft? <laughs> <laughs> and and oh I'm, I was like obsessed with them. I read all the books eight times each. So yeah, I was, uh, I, mean, I didn't know you were that big of a fan. <laughs> a sticker on my card to this day. <laughs> I'm like, where are my nerds at? But I loved Harry Potter and my mom came to me and to her credit, she was like, Hey, people in the ward are saying that this is about witchcraft. And I was like, it is they're witches and wizards. And yeah. she's like, well, do you feel like it's tearing down your testimony? And I'm like, excuse me? No, this is fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, she was, you know, she's like, okay, well, I will trust you. But, you know, things kept coming up. And anyway, when the Da Vinci Code came out, I think I was like a sophomore in high school. And all the Mormons, I don't know if you remember, but they were like up in arms about this mm -hmm. book. And it was specifically because it, stated that like Mary or uh, Mary Magdalene was Christ's wife or like, right. isn't that what it like was? Uh -huh. um, yeah. So they were like, you know, blasphemy, like absolutely do not read this book. And I was, yeah, you can read about the daughters raping their dad, <laughs> but just don't no, talk about it. Just, you, can, that first. you can read it. Just don't <laughs> mention that you read it. <laughs> yeah. Just um, whatever that is, I'm just going to keep moving on. But uh, so my mom came to me and was like, hey, you know, like kind of the same thing. You shouldn't be reading this book. And I she's like, it's going to ruin your testimony. And at that point, I was like starting to get upset with how many people were telling me like that I shouldn't be reading things or like shouldn't be digesting certain information. I had a philosophy English teacher that would like give me extra reading. And my mom thought he was like purposefully Satan's like helper trying to tear down my testimony. And she was not okay with the fact that I like loved his class so much. And I remember having a conversation with her that, that I was like, I'm going to continue reading the Da Vinci code because I, if like, if your testimony is not strong enough to withstand something that um, goes against it, then maybe it's, you know, not right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's such a good point. It's like, if your testimony and if it's true, right, if like the yeah. church, if everything about it is so true and all set in so much truth, you should be able to question it and read things against it all the time. And it it would be fine and but, stay but. strong because you're like, well, that's not this is not true. And I believe this. And so right. I was so I'm going to continue reading things that make me question my beliefs so that I am sure about what I believe in. Yeah. And she really, she was like, you know, good point. <laughs> Anything to say. But um, I started being very argumentative at that point and there was just so much like internal war raging inside of me because I was trying so hard to be a perfect Mormon and it just wasn't making sense. Like my justice complex was like, I don't want to treat people that are different than me as less than me. And honestly, that's not what we're taught to do anyway, yet it's what all the Mormons do. And then, um, like I can tell you this story where <clears throat> I was friends with uh, pretty popular Mormon girls and guys, and 
there was one guy that was on student council and there was this huge like rumor or it wasn't even a rumor but everybody was gossiping about the fact that he had the previous weekend made out with a girl in her bra without her top on oh god <laughs> and um they were just they, they they like outcast him they were like you know absolutely not he's not a worthy priesthood holder and uh cuz this guy was in the popular Mormon crowd, but also kind of in the popular non-Mormon crowd. And so, but he was genuinely the nicest human being ever. Always said hi to everybody, like never thought he was too cool, went out of his way to be sweet. And I remember in Hawk Hall where everybody congregated during class, he came up to me and gave me a big hug. And this was after the whole make out with the girl without her top on thing. <laughs> and my the people, the girls that I was hanging out with, like were like glaring at him. And I gave him a big hug and was like, what's up? Hi, how's it going? And, you know, went on our way and they like pulled me aside afterwards and were like, why are you associating with him? And I was like, what do you mean? And they're like, he's not a worthy priesthood holder. Like he, we should not be having him around us because you know, that whole, like, if you're around evil, it yeah. takes your away or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yes. He's so evil, evil for making out with a girl in her bra. Wow. <laughs> Uh, I know. Let's not even get started on like Mormons and their issues with sex, but yeah, <laughs> because yeah. of everything that like back at the beginning. Heaven forbid you're a teenage boy that makes out with a girl, <laughs> and uh, oh my God, so such a sinner. He's gonna be outcast, and anybody that associates with him should also be outcast. And I remember turning to them and saying, "None of y'all are being Christ-like." Right. He did not judge people. He did not shun people for their sins. In fact, he hung out with them and he was kind to them. And they were like, you know, they didn't have anything to say except for like, well, went on their way. Right, and I'm right. like, I think that was the point where I started to get really upset with Mormons because, yeah, like the cognitive dissonance in my own brain, I was like, why am I the only one who seems to be like d trying to do what we're told to do and not saying we're doing that and then like behaving in the opposite way? Right. But um, it just escalated from there. Basically, I, I stayed the path. It was all an internal war. But on the outside, I still followed the rules. And because I believe that or, and I still believe like I want to feel confident in my decisions. I don't want to have I don't want to regret something because I did it without really believing in what I'm doing and, you know, look yeah. back and yeah. wish I wouldn't have. So I never, you know, stepped the toe out of line. It was all just inside. I was there was this war raging with my faith and trying to understand and um you know, graduated. I had friends that were like engaged when we were still in high school and I did the singles ward thing. And honestly, like my anger and depression were just getting like worse and worse as I continued the Mormon path. Um, and like with my neurodivergency, like I have a very hard time lying 
<laughs> I mean, like everybody does little lies, but in terms of when we used to do those exercises in uh, young women's that were young women that were like first of all, which is so creepy, like map out your dream wedding and write uh, down like, wh- where is your mood board and like, and and how many kids do you want to have? And what's your perfect husband look like? And I, I would like sit there and not be able to write it down because I couldn't picture it because I didn't want it. <laughs> so I'm yeah. like, I'd be like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what I want my wedding to be. And they'd be like, well, just write it down because, you know, you don't you don't know what you want your perfect husband to be. And I'm like, no, not really. Like, I want him to be kind and smart and fun. I don't know. Like, they're like, uh, so Uh, and you remember how everybody had listed like he has to be an RM? Yes. I, I never said that because I had a cousin that I adored and I thought was like the coolest who came back early from his mission. And I also had um, a really good friend in high school who everybody loved and he never, I don't think he ever went on a mission. And, you know, people shunned him afterwards or like, oh, I'm not, you know, ever going to consider dating a non-returned missionary. But I was like, honestly, both of these guys are such better people than the returned missionaries that I know that I couldn't say like my husband has to be a returned missionary I just couldn't because I was like it's not true so mm-hmm. I yeah. can't say that and they'd That's be like you just being ethical like from the get-go of, like I'm not gonna just say that just because you want me to say it like <laughs> I don't know what to tell you guys and they you know I would get in trouble with my leaders and all of that but um yeah, so it escalated in singles ward. I fucking hated singles ward. I was like, because I saw it for what it was, which is a meat market. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I get that you guys want us to get married and are trying to like facilitate a place where we can meet other people. But nobody's listening during sacrament. Nobody's like actually here for the spiritual purposes it's all this meat market bullshit yeah and so I remember actually asking like begging to go back to the family ward um at at a very young age because I was just like this is not what church is for and it's making me more angry and like more hateful because of all the hypocrisy basically Mm -hmm. and so I would I would go to the go back to the family ward and then sometimes go to singles wards with with my girlfriends or whatever and just was miserable the whole time but um I think I I forgot I was gonna there was something I was gonna say about that oh yeah the toxicity of Mormon men I have to tell you this story or like a couple stories that happened after high school because these return missionaries would like uh, on multiple different instances say things to me or other people that like honest to God made me sick to my stomach. And it just was increasing this like hatred of the culture for me. Um, I remember one guy, I, you know, used to wear red lipstick every day and I still wear it just not on an everyday basis, but I, it started 
in high school and, you know, continued. And I remember a guy pulled me aside and was like, hey, I just want to give you like a helpful little tip. Um, the red lipstick is really intimidating to guys. And you if you want to get married, like you probably shouldn't wear it. Oh, my <laughs> God. Oh, and- I was so angry. I turned to him and I was like, oh, well, it's actually on purpose because I would never want to marry a guy who doesn't have the balls to date a girl who wears red lipstick. So it's actually part of my weeding out process. (laughs) And he was like, I love that you were sassy even back then. Like I was angry. I was angry back then. But I yeah, mean, I'm Taurus. So. I think I don't know if you've heard, but Sarah used to. I don't. She doesn't as much anymore, but she used to wear red lipstick a lot too. And she has like her lovely, beautiful, big, voluptuous lips. Oh. And a guy when she was Mormon said something to her like, "That's really distracting and immodest. Like it makes people think sexual things and look at your lips." And she was just like, "The fuck, like." <laughs> And that sounds like a personal problem. Dude. Damn, Mormon <laughs> men and their weird red lipstick fetish. <laughs> well, it's over just yourself. this projected insecurity with their own sexuality. They're yep. threatened by the sexuality of women and the fact that they cannot control it and they want to. So right, right, it's right. it's so much. Oh, it's so much psychology that is really hard for me when you understand it, you know, and right. see it for what it is, but. There was another instance, oh, EFY, my last year that I went, my girlfriend, my girlfriends and I saved up our money to go to the Santa Barbara EFY. Oh, oh well, she- I saved up my money because I had to pay for it myself, but my girlfriends had to pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I remember, so did you go to EFY? No, I didn't. Oh, lucky. <laughs> I know. <laughs> At the very, the very last day, they have is like the biggest day or whatever they have the the really big dance everybody saves like their best outfits it's like a dinner and then the dance thing and I remember you meet with your groups before you walk to like the banquet hall and my girl counselor who by the way was super pissed that the guy counselor her partner would like flirt with me because he they he wasn't he hadn't gone on his mission yet so he was like 18 19 maybe and i was what like 17 turning 18 which i'm not saying it's appropriate but at the same time we were only a couple years apart and so he would like sit by me talk to me it wasn't anything inappropriate he'd like uh link my arms when we like walked oh, to right. the wherever and um i could tell that she was really upset about it but she decides to put me in my place and oh, this, so the last day, she makes all the groups of the entire, like, session go ahead of us. She makes our group stay back, so the girls and the guys. And then she, like, says that we need to address something before we go and makes me stand up and is like, I'm really uh, – you're going to need to go change because what you're wearing does not is immodest. And, girlfriend, I had on, like, a – and I had saved this outfit because you saved your best outfit for the yeah. end. I had on a purple cap sleeve. Um, it was empire waist, uh-huh. so it was, but it was like t-shirt material. And I remember when it was big to wear those uh, shade shirts underneath yes. it. 
the shaved uh-huh. cami and it like came out the bottom too. So uh-huh. I literally had on a regular like t-shirt that wasn't low, but a shade shirt underneath it just to be sure because I had bigger boobs like my junior and senior year than most people and well, maybe my senior year, but that was this year. And so I was like, what? I'm like, like I, yeah, I, what about that is immodest? I'm like, I have a shade, nothing, no shoulders, no, no stomach like other girls. Cause this was the Abercrombie, Paris Hilton, Britney Spears <laughs> era. So they had like low oh, yeah. lines, true right. religions on. I could see people's midriffs and I'm completely covered. I'm all what? And I'm also standing up in front of everybody mortified uh-huh. because the guys in the group were like these surfer dudes that everybody thought was hot, were hot. And, um, I was like, what do you mean? I'm wearing a shade shirt underneath a normal shirt. And she goes, well, because you have um, bigger, you know what? And you're so short. If a guy is dancing with you and is taller than you and happens to look down, he might see the top of your cleavage. Oh my God. Uh, It's mortified. So I had to... That's just the most body shaming thing ever. Like just because of yeah. your height and how mm-hmm. your chest is shaped, mm-hmm. it's your fault if they look into your shirt. Ew. <laughs> I was traumatized. Uh. I was so embarrassed. I was like crying, just so yeah, mortified. And I had to go back and wear a freaking outfit I had already worn uh. that I want to wear I was like just so upset but it came from the girls and it came from the guys both of them and so yeah from everywhere you're never good enough never never and especially like if you threaten them in any sort of way they're gonna make sure to put you in your place and I back then did not have the uh, level of aggression I do now to like (laughs) I think I did say the stuff but like she's the boss so like what am I gonna do not go to the dance and so uh I remember this other instance where a new guy this wasn't back in the singles ward a new guy came into the ward and everybody thought he was so hot and they were all talking to him and um after sacrament meeting we're all kind of in a circle and he goes he says something like I think they were asking him what kind of girls he likes and he says I actually like girls that are like pseudo anorexic because <gasps> I don't want them to get fat after they have my seven kids. Whoa. And I was like, <gasps> what a fucking tool. I was like, ew. Ew. I was and you so know what? Like, I know that some people could hear this and be like, oh, that's just maybe a one off or just one guy. Oh, but like, no, here's no, the thing no. is like, it's really part of the culture of Mormonism. And I think anyone who's been in Mormonism, especially if you're a woman, you've heard things like this and have felt this pressure of like, make yourself smaller, be mm-hmm. meek and do what they all say. Like, it's mm-hmm. really a big thing for sure. It's a, it's, it, there's no, that is definitely not a one-off. I had a, no. a guy take me on a date and we were getting like calzones and he tells me, that he will not marry a girl if when she's sitting down, he pokes her stomach and it moves. 
because that means that she's going to get fat after they get married and have kids. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's what happens when you touch flesh. I'm like, I was like, um, what? He's like, yeah, I need her stomach to be like so flat and tight. So I know that like, she's not going to get fat. Ew. I'm like, so you, definitely not a one-off. I have so a million more. You want to date a skeleton. You want to date someone who's just bones. <laughs> and I used to think, I was like, it's probably because they haven't had sex. Like they think they want to, they think they want to fuck a skeleton, like a, yeah. a, some bones. And not that there's anything wrong with being thin, but like, it's not no, no, the no. way to be beautiful. Oh, and right. Like there's lots of ways, like they're very gorgeous thin women, but I'm going to say like, it, like no matter your size, your people have stomachs. <laughs> it's just like people have like you have to have organs inside. Like there's skin so that when you stand up you can stretch and and when you and sit like, down there's like, there's muscles and stomach and intestines and your kidneys. Yeah. Like there's all this stuff in there. Like I'm sorry, dude, but like people have flesh. I don't. <laughs> and how creepy that it was always like after they have my multiple. Oh. I like I'm gonna still tell them how they need to look and I'd be like do you understand what a body goes through to have a child like oh, obviously sure. not because yeah, yeah, all yeah. you're worried about is her getting bigger afterwards and what's so funny is I know some of these guys still like not like we don't talk or hang out but I see them on social media and it's very interesting how their lives have turned out. Like, um, and I'm, you know, just like uh, whether they've left or they're, they seem unhappy, um, it just always ends up like manifesting, you know, yeah, in, yeah, in the future. Yeah. And I've talked to so many Mormon or like ex, well, Mormon men and ex-Mormon men and females who have really fucked up um, ideas and are trying to like heal themselves from these like issues with sex mm -hmm. because of the how they were raised and what we were taught about it. And I, you know, in studying a lot of psychology and sociology post-Mormonism, um, guilting and shaming somebody's sexuality is which every human being you know it, it's in us and it's a driving factor after survival but it's the best way to manipulate a mass group of people you know is to shame something that everybody has that is very very personal and vulnerable and right. um to teach the community to do the same like right. shame people who are different or whatnot. And I am grateful to my parents for always having a pretty healthy-ish um, understanding and conversation about sex with us kids. I don't know if it's because we're all little redhead nymphos, but <laughs> my parents were like, you know, it's this beautiful, fun thing you get to do when you're married with somebody that you love. And I, I like that message, except for the, you know, when you're married part. When you're married, but yeah. <laughs> I did appreciate that because I had girlfriends that would like um, 
we would we would sit in a group and they would be asking me questions and I'm like I haven't done any of this stuff but they'd be like okay my parents told me that you're only allowed to have sex in the missionary position when you're trying to make a baby otherwise like the spirit leaves and like I'm like oh god yeah oh no 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 I'm like well my dad's a bishop and he says that you can do whatever you want as long as you and your partner are okay with it so and they'd be like oh (laughs) Okay, good. Try this. (laughs) That's a good example of like how it it varies so much. And a lot of like a lot. First of all, a lot of kids like their parents don't even talk to them about sex at all. So they have to find out other ways. But then, yeah, a lot of them are taught like don't do it except to have children. And then you get the other end where it's like, okay, you can do what you want, but you have to be married. So it's like there's all these different degrees of like what we were taught and no one really knows for sure. You just kind of have to like figure it out. (laughs) Yeah. And I remember sometimes getting in trouble for like being so open about it with my friends. Like parents didn't want me like talking to their parents to them about it. And I'm like, well, my dad's a bishop and he says it's fine. So y'all can fuck off. But (laughs) y'all can freak off. Okay. Fetch off. (laughs) Fetch off. Oh, so bad. Um, but I do like it's we also grew up in the era where smartphones and cell phones were coming into play. So the whole pornography issue is was just started. I mean, it didn't it's not like it started, but it became so much bigger right. when I was a teenager because of the availability of it and the access to it. So it's I talk to people about this all the time, but you tell like a a teenage boy going through puberty or even maybe like a a more high sexuality female that this thing is going to be in front of you all the time and it's forbidden and you and you really want it and it's like literally a click of a button away but if you do you are going to hell there's no coming back you're an evil sinner like you're going to be addicted and mm -hmm. is going to you yeah yeah all those they would have like conferences with the parents and all these rules and whatnot and I'm like now knowing so many men whether they've left the church or not that have and and women that have these issues because it was like it's such a natural human thing Mm -hmm. and especially when you're young to be curious and to want to explore um but now they are like I don't this is my personal experience, but I don't know any man that was Mormon that doesn't have some sort of like issue. Issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, um, they've been fucked up. Like, they, yeah. it, it's mentally like kind of fucked them up in like in ways that probably multiple ways. But yeah. <laughs> um. <clears throat> yeah, because to deny a part of yourself. Mm-hmm. And then if you do indulge or are curious about anything and you talk, I've talked to these guys and they're like, you know, you just think that there's no, that you're evil, that you, that like Satan got you. And it's this um, guilt shame cycle that ends up turning really dark because they have all this internalized hatred for themselves and they feel like they're not worthy, but they, but it's a secret most of the time. So they have to act as if they're not doing these things and that they're righteous and they go on missions and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'll definitely no like sexual exploration about like 
who or what you may like or uh-huh. if you like anything or if you don't want it just it's just the one way is this way and this is how it's going to be and it's as you get older or leave the church you're like nobody is that way like right. no nobody i don't know anybody that's like i only want to have um sex in the missionary position when i'm trying to have a baby <laughs> i'm pretty only sure that. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, and so then, but then you saw this issue where the the females, so the, you know, the young couple would get married and the guy's been, you know, looking at pornography and I'm not against it. I'm just saying that they've seen it and they're like excited to finally get to do these things and they want a virgin Mary wife, right? Uh-huh. They, they taught us to be virtuous and, and clean and, like you said, um, submissive and uh, pure. Uh-huh. And um, so they get married and the guy's like, yeah. And the girl's like, excuse me? Like, yeah. absolutely not. And then they have this, then they're married for eternity. Yeah. And the and, and it's not like they didn't talk about it before or sometimes they do. I don't want to like generalize, but just in my experience, and right. I've talked to a lot of people, um, it wasn't, it's an issue, you know? And yeah. then the girl's like trying to, I don't know what, how to keep my husband satisfied. And the guys have to, um, I mean, not have to, but get satisfied in other ways Uh like that those more um like risque fantasies or like what I don't know how to explain it but I just know that I see a lot of them up in my dms and I'm like (laughs) yeah uh hello sorry you're married yeah (laughs) married to my friend with five kids like it's oh god so and I used to feel really guilty about it and like uh I think I've talked to you like I would feel bad if I posted something sexual or where I thought I was pretty or like in a bathing suit or whatever, because I would get these messages from these guys. And I'm, I would feel like, you know, as the church makes you feel that I'm responsible like, for that. It's your fault for just being sexy. And then there being <laughs> little pervs, like trying to talk to you. Yeah. Like, no, you didn't ask for that. No, <laughs> You're just sharing your beauty with the world. Thank you. Or like, try, I, honestly, it's been a, a journey of trying to feel comfortable in my own skin and with my own sexuality. And it's, you know, it's got its own path, but it's taken a long time. And I still, I feel guilty for recording this one. My family is going to lose their shit uh, for airing their dirty laundry. And I'm like, well, if you don't like how it sounds, then maybe don't maybe. do it change yeah Yeah. maybe don't be such awful people um but they're gonna see it as a betrayal and uh wait i forgot i lost my chance that's okay (laughs) but um where was i you were saying it was about things you were posting on instagram and like you were nervous or you feel bad about certain things Oh, yeah. And yeah, so like this podcast and even even to this day, posting things that I like, I get flack for or will have. So it's either they're trying to shame me and um, which why do you think you get to say anything about a 33 year old woman's life who hasn't been in the church for what is it like 13 years now? Yeah. Yeah. Um, No, no. 
four almost 14 or 15 years. I've never, ever, ever gone back. I have never expressed the desire to go back. So the fact that also, this makes me sad for you that you spend time like like being concerned about my life because there's a lot you could like focus back on yourself to make yourself happy, but you're going to project it on me. And um, it's either the shaming or the the what I find inappropriate messages from people that are married and I'm like dudes like I'm sorry that you're not sexually satisfied in your relationship but that's that's not my problem that's between you and the person that you chose to spend eternity with you know (laughs) (laughs) and I know Mormons don't believe in therapy but maybe your bishop who is not a licensed therapist but is (laughs) has to act as one and you have to go and talk to him maybe he has some recommendations for you just kidding he's gonna send you to a sex addict class Uh, because pornography once I'm like right (sighs) it was and also like I I remember, okay, this is a crazy story. I got pulled into the bishop's office once when I was in singles ward. Um, I got in trouble because the guy I have been seeing, <laughs> we were making out and he came in his pants oh my and God. broke up with me afterwards, told me it was my fault for like uh, tempting him. And I was like, I'm sorry you pre-coming is my fault. Like I didn't even, I didn't even touch you. Like our clothes were fully on. And Girl, um, the amount of women I have uh, heard this from is insane. And this has happened to me too. Like it, it's just like, and then he, so it's my fault. Did that? Uh, what? I didn't even touch it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to touch it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. So I got pulled into the bishops. Oh, so he said, you should go talk to your bishop. And I'm like, I didn't do anything. Why the fuck would I have to talk to my bishop? I made out with you and that's totally allowed. You seem, it seems like a personal problem. But a week later, I get called into the bishop's office despite not having like said anything myself. And I'm very confused. And this dude's bishop had called my bishop oh my God. to pull me in and talk to me. And it was a completely inappropriate conversation. He's digging for details. He's asking me way more than he needs to know. And I'm getting pissed. Like, I'm like this. I'm just heated. And I'm like glaring at him. And I'm like, this is inappropriate and unacceptable. And he was like, your, you know, um, membership is on the line right now. I'm like, I didn't do anything. And he was like, uh, well, it's the appearance of sin and it's the temptation of these Uh. returned missionaries who are trying hard to do what's right. I'm like, he wasn't trying that hard. (laughs) (laughs) Just this demonizing of women being sexual. And, but then Mm -hmm when you get married, you're supposed to flip a switch and be the most sexual being ever all of a sudden, like, Oh God, I just can't get over the bishops calling each other mm-hmm. <laughs> to say that like this guy in their ward jizzed his pants. <laughs> it's like so outlandish when you like put it that way, but it's like, no, this happens in Mormon. It's, so <laughs> it's so cringy. And I'm like, okay, even 
like now looking back at it, taking Mormonism out, you're like, so these grown ass men are like talking to each other about this and like, and then like wanting an insane amount of details. Was I wearing underwear? Like, like just they don't need to know. And it's like, it's so creepy. And it's like, okay, you're not trying to help me repent. You're trying to get yourself off. Like, there's no reason you need to know those details besides that, that you're creepy and you're trying to like shame me. So yeah, stuff like that happened. It just built, but it got to the point where I really believed I'd been gaslit so much that I believed I really wasn't faith like that faithful that obviously there was something wrong with me or like my brain and I needed to like double down and so I went to BYU. <laughs> oh, dun dun dun. <laughs> I'm like let me just, you know, all this trauma, let me just go to the place where it's concentrated in this teeny uh, tiny little town and yeah filled with like the most judgmental of the Mormons. It was bad. My depression was like, I wore all black every day. I was like angry at the world. And, but I, but I, I went because I was like, if anybody has the answers, like I was distraught internally. I was like, not my parents, not my church leaders, not my stake president, not my seminary teachers. Nobody can answer these questions for me. And they all get so flustered that at a certain point, it comes back to you are not faithful enough. Mm-hmm. I don't have the answers. And now I feel insecure and threatened. My ego yes. threatened because I'm your priesthood leader and you shouldn't question my authority. So I'm going to shame you and I'm going to like project this back onto you. And so I was like, okay, well, if anybody has the answers, it's going to be the professors at BYU because they're the ones that um, talk to the apostles. They're the ones that study this and get paid to study it. So they have, I thought, you know, they have more knowledge. They'll be able to explain things better to me. Same thing happened. Same exact thing happened. Pulled aside in all my classes. Why are you trying to tear people's testimonies down? Why are you doing Satan's work? I'm like... I don't know if I'm going to make it. (laughs) Oh, Oh, my God. It was so bad. And I mean, my family loves to make the excuse and tell people that it was like the culture that made me leave because I've always been a little bit different. Like I wasn't ever going for that Mormon trophy wife look. I never was compliant. I've always been kind of feisty, not like meek and virtuous. And I mean, I was virtuous, you know, for per their standards, but um, whatever, not faithful enough or whatnot. So BYU and it, it was the but my family will say it's all the culture because they still to this day are like, well, your experiences and yeah, we understand why, but you know, it's the people and religion. And I'm like, here's the thing, the people are that way and the culture is that way because of the religion and like because of the doctrine and like how it all, is it set up that way? It is set up. It's set, like, 
If you study the psychological manipulation of the church, um, it's insane. And so it's even still hard for me to be upset. I mean, it's not hard. I'm very upset, but there's like two people inside of me. One that like where the emotion is removed and I have um, a vast understanding of psychology and how it works and how your brain can get wired uh, with trauma and all of this. And so I see the people and I, I feel bad for them because I'm like, it's the cognitive dissonance, you know, like it's, they are, they're brainwashed. So, and brainwashing, it's like, you don't know that you're brainwashed until of course, that's how it works. Mm-hmm. And fall apart. Because <laughs> yeah. you're like, wait, all of this is a lie? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. When you're uh, brainwashed, you just think it's it's normal. You yeah. Don't see that's, yeah, that's why it's so powerful. It, it's crazy. And it's, it's a lifelong journey to undo that brainwashing. It is an everyday battle. And I, and I know that scares a lot of people, but it, it's our it's our life. Like it's our journey. We were born into it. And I'm so proud of everybody that has been able to get out because mm-hmm. it is so hard. Yeah. You know, it's so hard. It's so, uh, my brother will say things. Um, I have one brother and a sister-in-law who have also left the church. Um, they are a very beautiful couple. My brother's a redhead. They are. My- in Laza Latina and they're covered in traditional tattoos very stylish I adore them obviously but uh they've been my biggest support um so he'll say you know anytime I start getting these like doubts and start you know questioning myself he'll you know take me by the shoulders and be like don't let them get their hooks back in you yeah and it's not like I'm considering going back to the church he's talking about like the brainwashing and the manipulation and the questioning of like myself and who I am and uh, right and and it makes you feel feel guilty sometimes or like maybe you did something wrong but you you didn't you're just living your truth and you're so you have so much integrity and yeah, yeah but I can see how when you're around people who they want to make you feel like you've done something wrong when you haven't. Always, yeah. always. And it's because what you're doing makes them feel a certain way. It, 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 it is it like it's that blunt cognitive dissonance. And they're like, oh, no, no, I'm not about to look at my, like <laughs> that makes I mean, somewhere in this in their subconscious, they're like, oh, no, that makes sense. And I definitely don't want to look at that. I don't want to look at it. I don't want to have to address it because that would mean that I have to change or I have to admit that I was wrong. And then, you know, yada, yada, yada. Where would it go from there? My testimony, blah, 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 right. fall apart. So you, anytime you, something that you do or say uh, threatens them, they attack. Right. They attack you. <clears throat> and they're, they're brainwashed into doing that, you know? So Anyway, post BYU, I, the last couple months knew that I was done. I was like this, and I didn't, I I I was too nervous to actually look into like the history of the church or like, I just, I just knew it was wrong for me. 
I'm like, I cannot live my life this way. I, you know, at that point was suicidal. And I was like, this is something's not working. And I have tried so hard to be the perfect Mormon. And I've studied and studied and studied like I, this, it's not working. And I'm, I'm going under. So I've the only, I'm going to, I'm going to do something different. And I was like, I always, I told this to myself and to my family, if at any point I am more unhappy than I was before, I will be the first to admit that I was wrong and I will come back to church. And I have never. I was <laughs> it was just the upwards from there. <laughs> yeah. I've always said like, I reserve the right to change my mind. And that makes Mormons very uncomfortable because I, I would say if I learn something new or have an experience that, um, you know, makes me think about things a different way, I'm allowed to be a different person today than I was yesterday. And now I'm at the point where I'm like, I want to be a different person every day. I want to continue to evolve and to learn new things. And if, and I'm, I'm grateful when people argue with me or present a really valid argument that makes me be like, oh, wait that's a good point. Like, let me think about that because maybe I'm wrong. And I've learned so much that way, even outside of Mormonism, you know, like with politics, with people's sexuality, like it really helps undo all of this Mormon conditioning that there is one way to think and one way to be. And so I, I, I always tell people, I'm like, I'm, a stubborn redheaded Taurus and I will fight you tooth and nail. But if you present a valid argument, I'm going to pause and be like, damn it. That's a good point. <laughs> damn it bitch. Let me think about that. For a second. Point. <laughs> I was like, but you better present a valid argument. Otherwise I'm going to poke holes and all yeah. of that. So, uh, anyway, left the church after BYU and I was the first person in my family of generations of Mormons to leave. And I think it was so shocking to everybody because outwardly I had always been like the most perfect Mormon. And they were just like, what could have happened? And I'm like, oh, remember how I've been like asking you guys these questions for years and y'all just like, you're not faithful enough. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, well, but they gaslit the shit out of me. And they're like, no, it's not that. It's because you went to BYU and had a bad experience. Uh. And that's why you left. And it's like, I, so that is an instance of my entire life. It's like, no, no, no. That's not what you experienced. This is what you experienced. And this is who you are. And I'm like, the definition of gaslighting, folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and It's funny, like as I've grown and changed and evolved that I I'm I'm like, I've always been this person. I've always been this person. I just masked the shit out of it so that you guys were comfortable and um, was taught that I had to do that. So I remember like my family, they And I don't know if it was just my family. I think it's a Mormon thing, to be honest. But it was this whole you it's the toxic positivity like you. um, Well, first of all, you know, they. In terms of like (laughs) therapy and psychology, it's really hard for me that Mormons 
attribute their emotions um, to external sources. So, you know, good feelings are from God right. and their Heavenly Father. I, I hate saying that. I can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, bad feelings are from the devil. And literally to this day, I'm pe- like my family will be like, Satan's just trying to get to you. I'm like, oh, <gasps> my God. And it's because and the, the reason it bothers me so much is because it means that they will never take accountability for their thoughts and which affect their emotions, which affect their behavior and affect their lives. And it's all this like reactive state of external sources trying to manipulate you instead of owning uh, your life and the direction that it's going by by understanding like the narratives that you tell yourself in your head about a situation affect your emotions and that all emotions are valid. It is not that we shun the quote negative ones because they're from Satan and heaven forbid we're sad at church and somebody thinks we're less righteous because we're not just beaming with sunshine and happiness because the righteous are always happy and Uh spiritual and, you know, lighthearted or whatever because they're doing what's right. And I'm like, it's fake. It's fucking fake. It's all fake. And we're allowed to feel feelings like it's important to feel your feelings but are not feelings. in the church like yeah. you're feeling something bad what have you done wrong how did mm-hmm. things get to you mm-hmm. to just be happy be grateful mm-hmm. yeah there was this there's this joke in my family but it's so telling the family um, of the bishop before my dad had a lot of kids too. And um, some of them were adopted. And I remember we're passing them in the hallway. And like, so my family's really big, their family's really big. And some of the kids were like, I think two of the younger boys were acting out and the mom kind of like, you know, like yanked them, like, stop it. Uh And uh, she turns and sees that my family's right there. And she goes, smiles, smiles, smiles all around, like really bitterly. But like, that is Mormons. That's that, that is so oh. Oh my God. It's like, like creeps me out. Like, oh, you're, you're in a cult. Put a smile on. Yes. And she like was thanking her kids as she did it. And I'm like, Oh, God. Oh, my God. But it's a joke in my family because we're like, smile, smile, smiles all around. Like it's but that's 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 that is <laughs> it's like heaven forbid that two year old have a tantrum because he's just sat through three hours of fucking church. Right. He's hungry and bored. Yeah. Yeah. So left the church was first in my family and it was a to-do. It was, I had to, I moved, that's when I moved up to Salt Lake was to put a physical barrier between me and everybody I knew because I was like, you guys have spent my entire life telling me who I am. And I've been trying to tell you that I'm not. And you've been gaslighting the shit out of me and saying, whatever that is, you're this way. And this is what you're experiencing. And I'm like, I can't like, I'm my, I always say like my soul died. Like my soul get my soul gets so low that I want to die. And I'm like, I, I can't do this. I'm not living this anymore. This, this is not for me, but I didn't look into like the history or anything, honestly, cause I was too scared. And I was just like, 
I made the decision that this is not what I want and I'm moving forward with that. And I had to be comfortable because I, I had to be confident in my decision because I knew I was going to get it from all ends. Right. And so I moved to Utah, Salt Lake, and it was the first time I felt free. And I know non-Mormons are going to be like, Salt Lake, isn't that like the capital of Mormonism? And I'm like, yes, but it's also where ex-Mormons go to congregate <laughs> yes, because yes. we there's a, com a sense of community of people that understand what you went through and yes. sympathize. Yes. For listeners who, who were never Mormon, Salt Lake, Salt Lake is more liberal, liberal, liberal than Yeah way more liberal and fun. Like yeah. I mean, they have, you know, they support small businesses. They have like events in the city. I loved that all of the bars uh, were like in the same area, like downtown. So you could like walk to bar all hop, of them. Yeah. Or, yeah. Bar hop. I thought that was super cool, but I was free for the first time to like breathe for a second and be like, okay, who am I? Who do I want to be? And I didn't have to deal with my family or, and because I grew up in the East Valley and we lived in the same neighborhood my whole life. Um, and my family, you know, is pretty well known out there. Uh, people even outside of my family were like, we know you. This isn't you. What are you doing? <sighs> We've known you since you were born. This is not who you are. You're shaming your family. I had a woman ask me, how does it feel? How can you live with yourself knowing that you're breaking your mother's heart? And I'm like, uh -huh. my actions, my for survival, by the way, I was almost dead. But like my yeah. actions are I need to reconsider because they're breaking somebody else's heart because I'm I'm not doing anything to them. No, I was like, no. really? But, you know, Mormons see everything as an attack if it, you know, conflicts with what they believe in. So I got it from all ends, aunts, uncles, grandparents, cousins, parents, like my parents, my family. I remember the first time I posted a picture of wine. Ooh, that was a fun one. <laughs> my mom like blowing up my phone and she was like, take this down immediately. She was like, your sisters follow you on Instagram. And I said, that's why I fucking posted it. Yeah. I said, I want my sisters to see that you can drink and do and have sex and, and be not Mormon and still be a good person and still be happy and live your life. I purposefully posted that. And, you know, she, we, we argued for a little bit, but eventually like, what is she going to do? Yeah. And I'm like, I, I'm like, I'm not their mom, even though my parents, you know, parentified me my entire life. And I was just a third parent and didn't really get a childhood because I was taking care of my siblings the whole time. But they, I was like, you're their mom. I'm not their mom. I'm their sister. If you don't want them to follow me, that's your prerogative. They're still underage and living at home. I was like, you can make them unfollow me. You cannot make me take down certain yeah. things that you're uncomfortable with. I'm like, I'm an adult and I've, I've moved out. I mean, I would say I got kicked out, but they're going to argue that I didn't, except for that my mom was screaming at me every night to get out of her house. Oh, so I, cause like we would argue <clears throat> all the time and it was 
toxic arguments. And so I finally did at 18. And when I did, my family was beside themselves. They were like, what? Why are you doing this to us? Well, we didn't mean it. It was just what? And I'm like, you've told me every single night. You've screamed at me every single night for months to get the hell out of your house. If I if I'm going to, you know, be argumentative or whatever. And so I did. And they were like, so from 18 and I moved back a couple times, uh, but for the most part, have been on my own since then and have had a job since I was 14 or 13, if like 11 or 12, because my uh, brother and I used to go and clean my grandfather's accounting office, accounting firm twice a week. So like I I babysat all of that and then had a job from a very young age and have always had a job and um, been self-sufficient and, you know, not relied on my parents. So I don't really understand why everybody thinks they get to tell me how to live. I'm like, I'm not relying on you for anything. So what leverage do you think you have except for the whole guilt and manipulation and abuse? So, um, but when I moved to Salt Lake, I met you, I met, you know, some really beautiful souls that saved me, honestly, like, we're like, hey, like, you're okay, like, you, we like you as a person, as this person, like, who I really was, and was finally, like, free enough to be myself, and um, not have to pretend for people anymore. And it was so validating that I uh, wasn't cast off and that people loved and supported me in that way. And I, you know, will never, I'm, I'm still friends with those of you that uh, helped me in Salt Lake, you know, and... Um, I was, I'm so grateful for you guys. Uh, but I was there only there for like two, maybe a little over two years and kind of got into a toxic relationship and ended up moving home because of it. And also for, I had a job, a better job opportunity in Arizona at a tech company. So to make a lot more money. And so I moved back home and Let's see, where did it go from there? Yeah, I moved into my own apartment in Chandler. Oh, but never was Mormon still. Like, never went back to church. Never said I wanted to. But I'd still go to, like, family events because I hadn't deconstructed. It still was just, this isn't for me. But if it's for you guys, like, that's cool. Right, right. So... I worked my job and really, really loved working at that company, made a lot of friends, but that company was a majority Mormons. Uh, They got in a lot of trouble for like only hiring and promoting white Mormon males. Oh God. Um, It was, yeah, it was a whole thing, but uh, I remember, okay, so I was a top 5% performer on my team like all the time and uh, the others were males and there were like a few months where the like the the company wasn't doing so great and we were account managers and we had like these quotas to hit or whatever and i had hit mine but like barely but this but a lot of people on the team hadn't and be, 
And so I had a guy, he was, and I'm still in my 20s, right? Like mid 20s. I had a guy come up to me who was like 45 years old, wife at home with five or six kids, I believe. And by the way, this dude was always inappropriate to the women at work. There was like a, a woman who was very flirty with the other men, even though she was married too and like wore um, pretty tight things. Not No shame. She has a beautiful body, but he was known for like saying creepy things about her or like getting caught staring at her and just being inappropriate with some of the women on the team or in the department. And so he comes up to me, oh, and always talking shit about his wife and like how he hates going home and stuff. Oh, lovely. <laughs> so, yeah, he yeah. comes, I know, he was the worst. But he comes up to me, cause I'm, I'm there late, like working on my shit. And he comes up to me and is like, hey, basically tells me that I need to fudge my numbers because I never do, so I won't get caught. And it will like it would bump the whole team up into this additional qualifier. Like it would make up for the people who were doing a shitty job. And I was like, I'm not doing that. And he oh was like, Oh my God, this was a Mormon man. Too. Of like, course, it was a Mormon man who goes to church <sighs> and says he's honest in all his doings and sits with his family, who he talks shit about 24/7 about how unhappy he is. And like, honestly, okay, so our manager was like one of his best friends. They were in the same ward, their wives are best friends, they went on double dates together all the time. And my manager would always make exceptions for this dude. Like there were these instances where some sales reps were doing some shady shit and the guy uh, went to my manager and was like, you know, raised his voice and was like, I, I need help, I need your support with this. So they went downstairs and the manager got after the sales reps for this guy, this man. And then I didn't know this, but like the same day, later in the day, I went up to the, my manager, the manager, and I was like, I need your support in this. Like, this is not acceptable. And they're not listening to me. Like they're just, because I'm not a manager or I was an account manager, but this is the manager of the account. Right, right. And he was like, he was like, no, tried to tell me that I was overreacting. He called me emotional a ridiculous oh. amount of times. And I was like, this is a lie. Like this is not a valid sale. And they're like stealing from this old lady who does not need this $300 software. Like this is bullshit. And he, I kept fighting him on it. And he was like, you need to calm down. You are just being emotional. You're overreacting. And I was getting more and more angry. Cause I'm like, why do you keep telling me that I have the evidence right here and I have the phone calls pulled. And he goes, so he gets to the point because I keep fighting him as all Mormon males do. Yeah. <laughs> he gets to the point where he just needs to shut me down. And he was like, I am not going down there for you because I already went down there for, for, I almost said his name <laughs> for this other dude earlier today. Wow. And I was like, interesting, but you just for an hour tried to gaslight me and tell me that I'm being too emotional as a woman and overreacting. So yeah. <sighs> this blood uh, is the worst. I know. I'm like, people are like, why are you so angry? And I'm like, hmm, just like 33 years of being gaslit my whole Yeah, because we're emotional women and 
we're too sexual, then we're not sexual enough, then we don't look a certain way, and we don't talk the right way. And my stomach <laughs> may move when I sit <laughs> You might have a stomach. What? I you be a human? <laughs> and, uh, okay, so just fast forward to the end of the month when this dude's coming up to me, and nobody's around, of course, because it's after hours, and I'm working on my shit, and he's trying to tell me I need to fudge my numbers, and I'm like, I'm not doing that. I'm, I've never been, com- I've never done that because I have integrity, and I don't feel comfortable. And he was like, he kept pushing, pushing, kept, I kept saying no. And he gets to the point where he was like, he's like, I have a wife and kids at home. You're just being selfish because you're all on your own. You get to, you're, you don't have kids. You don't have responsibilities. You just get to do whatever you want with your money. And I'm like, bro, this sounds like a fucking personal problem. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. don't need to fudge my numbers because you go on two hour lunches with our manager, leave early, come in late, go on double dates with him and his wife. He gives you all of the easy accounts and you still can't fucking hate your numbers. But you're going to come at me and tell me that I need to lie and cheat so you can feed your children. And then on Sunday, you go to church and you act like you've just been doing the honest, ethical thing all week long. Meanwhile, you're just lying and cheating your way through life. Yeah. And then, and then trying to make me feel like I need to be responsible. Bro, I didn't choose to have five kids. I didn't choose <laughs> to get married at 19. Like, your life's yeah. This is not my issue. No, not and your problem. It was, it was like a Mormon plus a business that, like, thing that he was coming at me because he was like trying to tell me that I'm a selfish human being because I'm not married and don't have kids and I'm not putting those who (sighs) chose more righteously and I'm like I don't believe that anymore so you can just take that and fuck off yeah yeah so he was so mad at me but (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I left that company and worked for like a different one or two different software companies. And, um, my, my dad ended up asking me to come and help him with his business when I was considering like getting my real estate license. And he was like, I was in a, a, situation with this smaller tech company where the COO kept stealing my ideas and presenting them as her own to the board. And I started to find out and I was like, wait, but, and then they were like refusing to pay me my bonus. It was, I had to get legal involved. It was a whole thing. So he was like, leave that, you know, toxic situation. My dad, he's like, I need help right now because his business was growing and he didn't understand like software and stuff and really needed some help in order to scale. And I, and he's like, just come work for me while in the meantime and like help me get organized while you get your real estate license. And I was like, okay. Um, and I, so I did, but it ended up like, we just kept working together and we like the business was growing, but it was when he, when he asked me to come and help him, um, he had been released from the bishopric. That's right. No, no, you're good. So listeners. Okay. We're going to wrap up. We're going to pause and um, we're going to do a part two with Chelsea because trust me, you want to hear the second part. Like I know this first part has been great, but like trust, you don't want to miss the second part. Um, 
I'm getting a call. You're good. Can you hear that? <laughs> yeah. I'm so sorry. You're good, but but Chelsea, thank you for sharing. And listeners, yeah, there's gonna be a part two coming right following this one. So stay tuned. <laughs> and um, yeah, we'll talk to you all later. Bye. Bye. <laughs>